Metallica, here they come, the kings of metal. This is Jay Weinberg from Slipknot, and you're listening to Metal Up Your Podcast. Welcome to Metal Up Your Podcast. I'm Ethan Luck. And I'm Clint Wells. And this is episode 221, and we're going to do another deep cut dives into a uh, slightly more current Metallica tune that has never been played live, the awesome hardwired track, Murder One. Well, here's what happened, Ethan. Uh, Our last episode, which was our debut of our deep cut dive series featuring Trapped Under Ice, it was such a smash hit. It was, I'm told, uh, reports have, have, have likened it to Beatlemania in the early sixties in America. And, uh, that's kind of the equivalent of the podcast world. Right. And so, I mean, we didn't really have a choice. It was basically either do another deep cut dives or be publicly killed. And so I I got a daughter, you've got a wife, we've got lives to live. Uh, we can't really let the, we can't really have that. So we were like, okay, well we'll do more episodes of this caliber. Here are the actual, actual options. Do another deep cut dive or retire. Not right. just the podcast, like just everything in life, like sell all of our gear. Right. We're, we're just done. We're, music is no longer a part of our lives. We were in a windowless room, a gray, indiscreet room from Terry Gilliam's Brazil. Yeah. And they basically said, if you're not going to, if you're not willing to do another deep cut dive, you're going to have to go away and never yeah. come back and for a long time. So, I mean, there's none of those things were very tenable for either of us. So we were like, well, let's just do another deep cut dives. Yeah, I mean, that seems to make the most sense. No pressure, but let's just right. do another one of these. So we're going to do Murder One. I thought it would be fun to jump from 1984 to 2016, the last effort by the boys. And a song that I think most people agree is Killer. A killer, killer tribute to Lemmy, you know, yeah. of Motorhead. Motorhead, as we will get into the song. Um, huge, huge, important, looming figure for the band. In fact, James has quoted several times through the years saying that he doesn't even think Metallica would exist without Lemmy. Mm-hmm. So that's what the song's about. But I think we all agree that although it kicks ass, it's one of the weaker moments on Hardwired, and I'm, I wager maybe even the boys agree, as they've never played it. But just like Trapped Under Ice, and, and honestly, like I think it's going to happen for almost all of these, learning to play it made it so much more likable to me it really does yeah i mean not that i didn't like trapped under ice before i learned how to play it last week yeah same. which by the way clint will be on the axe today i'll be regaling you with the uh sound pleasure today love it um but yeah no th- uh, th- you're right in that you know as guitar players or if you're a baseball or even a drummer or something learning a song can definitely t- uh, help it take on new life and maybe uh just you know kind of force you to like it a little bit more and uh, actually enjoy playing it and listening to it and spending time with that tune. And uh, this one's, uh, you know, no exception, I think. You know, um, it's a fun tune. It, yeah, you're right, though. It is one of the weaker points of Hardwired. But it's only one of two songs they have not played from Hardwired. Well, and here's what makes them great. Here's And here's what we're going to continue to discover. Is even their deep cuts, 
what I discovered learning it is, I mean, there's nothing super fast. There's no spit out the bone, Dyer's Eve type stuff, but it is very interestingly composed. Yeah. The, the way they put these riffs in, there's a lot of half bars in this song. There is, yeah. Where they just do it, they count the two instead of four and just almost kind of like slingshot you into the next section, which is really cool, dude. Just as a writer, it's just cool that they didn't just symmetrically do everything. Like, yeah. Putting these little two bars in, I was actually listening. I've been listening to Super Unknown a lot uh, the last couple of days. Don't ask me why, because I don't know. What what I'm in the mood to listen to is mysterious to me. It's always a mystery. And I let that magic happen. Oh, dude, speaking of sh- shit to listen to, I went and got my vaccine yesterday, but I had to yeah. get it kind of outside of town. And I listened to the Living End album. So you made me a Living End mixtape. Yes. Based on the songs I liked the most on that mix of their whole career, I bought the one with White Noise on it. Yeah, that, that's the name of the record, too. And right? I, list, I burned that down on, on that drive. Great record. Every, every song, I was like, I love this song. Every single song. Yeah. Great band. Fantastic record, man. Great guitar player. So anyway, but I've been listening to um, Super Unknown for unknown reasons and just their use of time signatures, that interesting push and pull of adding a couple of counts, taking some out. It's just, I've never really written that way. I know your song, Shadows, had an interesting count in the verses, right? Yeah, there. Yeah, there. It was like it was like three bars of seven and one of eight, like little things like that. It's pretty cool. Soundgarden's a great example of that kind of stuff. I mean, sound. I would say bands like Soundgarden or maybe Rush. Um, uh oh. Uh oh. <laughs> those are those are probably. I'd say Vital mainly. And the snow dog. And the split measure. <laughs> but no, those were the bands that you know, as a young guitar player, that taught me what odd time signatures were and like wait what what is, i don't know what seven eight means or three four or six eight whatever but then you got bands like soundgarden and they're doing they're doing songs in like nine eleven or something you know well the the band that really takes that over the top at least in terms of commercial appeal is tool yeah i'm sure there are some deep underground progressive you know fucking degent bands that are doing some wild shit but as far as a band that like you know sells tickets uh yeah. tool is they're the ones that take it like to the extreme for me. Oh yeah. Whereas an artist like Sting, like there's a if you guys haven't heard Ten Summoners Tales by Sting, great record. You are missing out on some beautiful magic. But he does it the way that that Chris Cornell did and Matt Cameron, where they write it in a way where you, it doesn't even really sound like it. It doesn't sound like some sort of math. Right. It sounds kind of. It almost sounds four four because you don't even think about it. It's it, yeah, it, it definitely does. They make it sound pretty seamless, where you don't really notice. Um, even something as weird as the bridge to Black Hole Sun, I think yeah. that's the one that's in nine or something. Yeah. Well, and and yeah, the bang down, bang down, gong. Is that yeah. yes, what you're talking about? Yeah, totally. Well, and that's just the bridge, but even a song like "Fell on Black Days," which is in six four, the whole song's in six four. So the whole song's mm-hmm. a little lopsided, but you don't notice that. Because the me- because that's the vo- how good the writing was the melody yeah the way he sings over it makes it sound so cool anyway listen if you're new to the show we are an all Metallica podcast we love oh by the way I was listening to Murder One last night and learning it yeah. and I I would like to make an announcement okay uh, may I have the floor for a minute uh, uh, Senator Wells you have the floor here's my announcement and I I've been doing this podcast for how many years we've we been doing this four years just over four years yeah and I don't think I've ever said this. I think I've said similar things, 
but I would like to say this definitively now. Okay. Metallica is the greatest heavy metal band of all time. Yes. Okay. Now that sounds obvious, but I don't think I've ever said that. And I didn't realize it last night, meaning I decided it last night. It's been right. true my entire life. But I realized last night, I need to say this because I've always been like, you know, there's Iron Maiden, there's Black Sabbath, uh, kind of naming the great ones. And of then course, of course yeah. Metallica's in that list. But I feel very confident now just pulling away from all of that bullshit and saying they were the greatest heavy metal band of all time. Of all time. And at this point in the game, who's likely to surpass them? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and take a wild guess and say zero bands. Zero bands. Where are they from? What label, what label are they on? I'm not really sure. Okay. I need to look into it, though. I just wanted to say that. Listen, uh, not only did you have the floor, I think you climbed to the mountaintop to, Thank you. to let everyone know well, that Metallica I'm, is the greatest heavy metal band of all time. I'm quite athletic. Everyone who has seen me knows this. Well, you've been working out. You've been dropping the LBs. Well, not really strength training. I've been just trying to get everything off my body. Get out. <laughs> get, get away. Well, yeah, but then once you climb that mountain, it'll be a lot less to carry up the mountain. So listen, if it's your first, <clears throat> first time listening, we are all Metallica podcast. They're the greatest heavy metal band of all time. Everybody knows this, including us and all of our listeners. And these deep dives are exactly what they sound like, deep cut dives, where we take a song that seems to be underappreciated, either by the band or the fan community or both or neither, because right. maybe we'll do a deep cut dives on motherfucking Inner Sandman. I don't know. That You know, that might we might find a way where that falls into the deep cut category. We'll find a way. We'll love finds a way. It really does. So, um... Anyway, and we find we 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 break them down. The riffs, we usually will have our instruments with us to break down what's cool about the riffs cuz it's Metallica and all their riffs are cool even in songs people don't like. Dude, yeah. everyone agrees that that riff in Ronnie is badass. It's great. So, even the songs that people have problems with, you break them down, they're cool, the lyrics, what makes them work. What's really ex exciting to me about the hardwired sauce is we have these great videos that basically show the song from you know, from inception to completion. Right, yeah. So we will do all that. Let's talk about the news. You want to talk about some news? I would love to get into some news because we got some really cool stuff that happened this week. There is some cool stuff. So let's knock out the, let's knock out the normal stuff because I was going to say right. the uncool stuff, but that's not true because all the news is cool. It's all, always cool. Here's the, norm, here's the normal news. Here's the sauce. Uh, Metallica again on Colbert two nights ago, I suppose. And we were had, scratching our heads a little bit because we were like, well, they were just on and they played into Sandman. What could possibly happen? What could it be? It was the 35th anniversary of Master of Puppets. So then that day, as the speculation grew, um, we were like, well, what are they going to play? And the general consensus was they're going to play some kind of version of the song Master of Puppets. Right. But they pleasantly surprised us all and they played Battery. I know. I, I I would not have guessed that. Even if even if I was guessing something off of Puppets, I would have said the song Master of Puppets would be for sure what they're going to play. Maybe a bit of a scaled down version for right. time's sake. Yeah. But um, maybe maybe skip the bridge or something. But I mean, maybe Sanitarium. But I mean, to me, that's that wouldn't be a wise choice. So Battery was a nice surprise, man. And dude, they sounded fantastic. It's one of the best performances I've seen of them on TV in a long time. Yeah, for and sure. The, the benefit of doing it this way where everyone's kind of socially distanced is you can really dial it in, you know, like, oh, yeah, they could have played it as many times as they want. I, I doubt that they played it many times. They've been playing yeah. battery, you know, for however many years since 1986, yeah. at least 10. Yeah, It was really cool. 
they looked great. Uh, I loved Kirk's Michael Schenker flying V. James was yeah. playing the camo vulture. The Lars sounded great. There was mention, there's been clatter in the community, and I'm interested to get your opinion as a drummer, <clears throat> that Lars has been tending to play recently more album tempo. Yes, and I uh, I back it. I can't support it enough. Rather than sped up a little bit, which is what you yeah. tend to do when you're in front of, I don't know, 50,000 people. You know, maybe that many. Well, I mean, that's the thing. We've seen Metallica numerous times as, uh, you know, have all of our listeners. And th- that that is something you have, have experienced being touring musicians is that when you got a crowd in front of you, if you're not playing to a click or backing tracks or something, it's easy to get carried away and speed up the song, especially when you're the drummer and you're the one counting off the songs and stuff like that. Um, now, will that change once they go back on the road in front of an audience? I don't know. But... I, I firmly believe, as, a, as someone who has been a drummer for a long time, that Lars has been doing a lot of woodshedding mm-hmm. in, uh, at his house you know, with his five cell phones. And, <laughs> um, and I mean, it was obvious, like, I think the first time I really noticed it was when they did uh, the few songs for Howard Stern. And when they did, when they, they did Rome, and yeah. it was just like, gah, 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 gah. it was just, it had so much feel and backbeat to it. I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So I don't know if uh, it's something that I'm guessing Lars has been practicing a lot at home. And I know he's a pretty healthy dude. He runs a lot and stuff. And drumming on the road is a huge cardio workout. Keeps you in shape. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd imagine that's that's part of his normal workout routine is drumming X amount of hours every day on the road or every other day or whatever. So maybe right when the pandemic hit and everything got canceled, maybe he decided this is what I'm going to do at home. I don't want to lose my chops. I don't want to lose my stamina, all this kind of stuff. And maybe in all that, he decided I'm going to work on this, this, and this. So every, listen, every performance that they've released, whether it's Stern or Pandemica, uh, whatever, Colbert, every time the t- tempo sounds solid and Lars sounds solid. And it's yeah, rad. I agree with all of that. Well said. I, here's the thing that I find interesting, though. It's like <clears throat> when we saw them last time on Colbert, they had the wall of amps, which was great. The aesthetic of that was killer. Mm-hmm. This time they had the Wayne Isham, you know, returned Master of Puppets OG backdrop. Wayne Summers. Wayne Summers. What did I say? Wayne Isham. <laughs> Wayne Isham. Sorry. <laughs> how many emails is that going to elicit? How many people are going to talk about how I said that name wrong? Okay. Um, if you haven't heard, Wayne Summers, a good friend of the show, who he's going to be back on the show, actually, in about a week or two. Uh, famously returned the missing backdrop to Metallica. That story is told on Metal Up Your Podcast. You can find it in the in the Annals of Time. It is there. So here's my question, though. Is that HQ or were they on a soundstage? Because what some people may not know is that when a band is like doing a shoot sometimes or or rehearsing, mm-hmm. they'll rent out a whole like soundstage that makes you feel like you're on a stage. It's a right. big room and... It can be as it can have as much production in it as, as you want. Now, usually when they do shit from HQ, they're in that big tracking room. But does yeah. HQ have a big soundstage? Um, no, I don't, I don't, I don't believe so. It does have a big soundstage. No, no, so I, I don't believe so. Oh, okay, yeah, I didn't um, think so either. I think they have a, a warehouse where they store with storage. Yeah, yeah, bands bands that <clears throat> bands that size generally like Pearl Jam has one. Um. They usually, uh, at some point in their career, have bought basically a big warehouse where they, right. that's where everything's stored. You know, artists like you and I, or, or the people we play for, they might just rent out like a storage locker at a place like Soundcheck here in Nashville, a big rehearsal place. 
But you know, a band like Metallica, with the amount of gear you've had and and spanning a forty year career, you you need a little more space. So my guess is, especially after the Inner Sandman video, is with all those shelves of amps and things. My guess is they just went to their warehouse and cleared out an area, made like a cool looking set, and then chances are they recorded um, battery in that same in that same day, and then just put up the backdrop in front of all those amps or something. Here's another curious thing: is they played that middle part that they always skip. Yeah, that was really cool. Which is cool. I mean, maybe they did that as an homage. Usually what happens after the second chorus, battery, they do a big diamond, which they call yeah. hangs. You'll see it say on the set list, hang, Yeah, which is basically just a whole note diamond. And that's where James says is, well, are you alive? Hey, hey, pardon me, audience of 80,000. Are you alive? <laughs> I'd like to ask individually, each one of you, because I care, are you alive? Yes. You, sir, are you alive? Uh, how about you? Yes, yes, James, I'm alive. Wait, are you alive? Sure am. You and the peace cells, but who's buying shit? Are you alive? I'm definitely alive. <laughs> it's Dave Mustaine. He's in the, he's, he's in the snake he's, pit. He's, I was about to say, he's not even in the snake pit. He couldn't even get in the fucking snake pit. <laughs> he's in the nosebleeds. Uh, he's running He's running the spotlight for, uh, for Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> he's Avi's assistant. Um, so they're playing that, you know, that cool little thing that's in the middle. I don't know. Yeah. It's neat. It's fun. Well, I mean, it's 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 not like it's something that's crazy hard to throw in there. It's not that long of a part. They're not really skipping out on like I three they, minutes of music. Yeah, I think they got rid of it because I I just think they look at it and they they don't feel like that piece of music really does anything. Like yeah. live, when he does the Are You Alive stuff, they go right into a solo, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah, exactly. So only time will tell if that's something they're willing to bring back in battery or if they just did it to pay homage to the OG version. Although it was sad not to see the intro tape, but I guess doing the intro tape on TV doesn't make any sense. Yeah, because what are you going to do? do you, well, you either play some kind of B-roll footage, which would be kind of like, I don't know, yeah. maybe kind of lame. Stock. It's either that or, or you play it with the clean tones that they have. But then on that intro, you've got like a three-part harmony nylon string guitar. So... As I displayed on our Instagram account the yeah, other day. Yeah, sounded wonderful, by the way. Um, thank you. But yeah, no, I, I thought this this performance was it was just it was awesome, great. man. It was awesome. I watched it a few few times. Um, yeah, I was just I got nothing else to say that the I can't Metalli- say better. The Metalla chat dudes who I think are fucking hilarious. They tweeted something like, "Wow, it was really cool, really weird seeing Battery on CBS." <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Which is so true. Uh, another quick thing in the news: Happy birthday to one Mister Jason New Kid Newstead. Always yes. the new kid, forever a fan favorite. My favorite member of Metallica for fourteen years, and uh, he's out there somewhere doing his thing, living probably a happy life. And I yeah. wish him well. Absolutely, me too, man. Yeah, I, sometimes I often forget that he was actually older than the guys. Jason just turned fifty-eight. How are, how old are the old other guys? I, I mean, not by much. I mean, uh, Rob, I believe, is the youngest, but uh, I mean, James is fifty-six or fifty-seven. It's only by a year or two, okay. but Jason was older. Um, so yeah, he, just a trip, so he's man. the older guy, and they're making him sniff wasabi. I know, making fun of him storing sandwiches. Man, yeah. I'll I'll always feel endeared to that because that was a tour trick of mine forever that I now realize I learned from him. Yeah. I mean, I still do it. You know, we got a day off tomorrow. I don't, you know, I want my per diem to go to vinyl. So guess what? I'm going to grab some, some of that beer out of the fridge. I'm going to make a couple sandwiches, maybe a burrito and take it to my hotel room. Well, I haven't toured in so long that I forgot what any of that's like. Dude, a tour manager, a friend of mine called me yesterday yeah. and he's like, 
he didn't mean it this way, but he's like, hey, man, I'm TMing for insert country artists right. that I won't say right now. And he's, I'm like, oh, okay, cool. What's up? He's like, well, we're putting together, you know, we're going to start kicking things back up in June and we're putting together, I'm, tar- I'm put, kind of putting the band together. And I'm like, I'm like, say yes. no more. I'm like, yes, I'm getting, a, you know, the call. He's like, yeah, I was just curious if you knew any young guitar players that would want to do this. And oh. I'm like, I'm like, uh, what? You're like, I, hey, I'm not, I'm not 40 yet. How about I'm that? Like a, I'm a guitar player. Anyway, he didn't mean it to come off so shitty, but I'm like, hey, man, don't call me to not offer me a gig. Yeah. Because exactly. I will fucking rip your goddamn spine out and eat it. Because I have no food. Because that I is an unfortunate gigs. reality in the country. Really, just in in the Nashville touring world, is if you're a, if you're a country artist, especially if you're a younger one, unfortunately, they want a younger band. Unless you're like a, I, I think that kind of maybe teeters in pop country. Maybe for like a cooler artist like a Margot Price or a Casey Musgraves or whatever, they don't care as much. But I, I mean, I've I've been told like, hey, you did great at that audition, but. You're just, you know, you got too many tattoos and you're a little older than we're looking for. Like, okay, great. Why did you even call me in? <laughs> yeah. Um, now, in happier news, oh my gosh. Something something big has happened. Something big has happened. This is a, a an historical event that, that just took place that I will just go right out and say it. And a lot of the middle of your podcast listeners agree with me. I feel as I've been exonerated. From my outlaw torn crimes. This is like DNA evidence that you get like after being in prison for 30 years. You have been exonerated and from the most unlikely of sources, because here's what happened. Lars Ulrich was doing an interview. What was it for? Was it for World Cafe? NPR. Oh, NPR. Yeah. And now Lars is the kind of guy who after every show on the Worldwide Tour gave a big speech where he seemingly remembered every detail about the first time they played that town, the venue yeah. they were at, how many people were there, and who wrote I who wrote I love mom in urine on the wall in the bathroom. <laughs> but he made a little bit of a boo boo on NPR, didn't he, Ethan? He did. How about this? Why don't we uh, check out that clip and then we'll discuss? All right. Is there a song of yours that once you heard it and played it with the orchestra, really elevated it for you personally, playing it on stage? Um. Well, there's a song called uh, The Outlaw Torn that we did uh, in the second S&M go-around uh, that we didn't do the first time, and it's a song we don't play very often live. So that was great to uh, not just play that again, um, but to have the orchestra uh, back that up and, and, and share that with us and embellish that. So I, I'd say that's probably the first highlight. I find I'm so excited I can barely sit still a whole of thought in my head. I think it's the excitement only a free man can feel. A free man at the start of a long journey whose conclusion is uncertain. Well, there you have it. As far, as, mean, I'm, as, far as I'm concerned, the case is closed. And as Angelo Gonzalez said on the Discord, we have all been experiencing since 1999 a collective hallucin- hallucination. Mm-hmm. Because Lars said it himself, it wasn't on Outlaw Torn was not on S and M one, and yeah. you were. And turns out, hashtag Ethan was right. You were right all along, baby. I mean, listen. I don't know if you've seen the movie Yesterday, where the guy gets in an accident, wakes up, and the Be- the, the Beatles never existed, but he's the only one that knows. 
I feel like it's it's a somewhat similar story with me and Lars where for the last 21, 22 years, everyone thinks that the Outlaw Torn was on SNM. So it's kind of the opposite of the movie. But me and Lars know, and no one believes us and has ever believed us that SNM was not on, or sorry, Outlaw Torn was not on SNM 1. And I feel like I was the only one forever, and I finally have gotten confirmation from the man himself that it was not on there. So guess what? I finally got my get-out-of-jail card. Well, I haven't seen yesterday, but I believe in yesterday, and I believe in you. Thank you. And I believe in miracles. So, uh, case closed. Have we closed case, the case? Case closed. There's no... Listen, if, if, uh, if you're a newer listener to the show and you go back and dive into the early episodes and you hear episode, which I pulled up, it is episode number 17 and it's been almost four years since that happened april april 10th 2017 (laughs) is when that debacle happened where nobody believed me and now lars has confirmed it now you heard it from the man himself or lars is such a huge fan of this podcast that he decided to use an npr interview to make some sort of meta joke and reference to us which i would accept that also I'll, I'll, listen. Either way, I think it exonerates me, and yeah, I'm feeling. You know, I'm I'm, I'm feeling like Michael Schofield and Lincoln Burroughs at the end of Prison Break season four, when they've gone through all this trouble to Yikes. to help the company and take down the company, and at the same time, and finally get exonerated by the end of it. That's how I feel right now. Or wow. I feel like I feel like. Andy du- Andy Dufresne Dufresne yeah. who crawled through a football field's worth of 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 human sludge to and then you're out in the rain and you've ripped your shirt off and you're yeah. screaming in the rain yeah that's that's me I'm about to I'm about to head down to uh, what's the name of the town say say Wantaneo or something I don't and, know and when and. and Clint Wells, my Morgan Freeman, is about to cruise down the beach and help me with my oh, boat, dude, with I'm my car- boat project. Yeah, I'm carving, you know, I'm carving old man Time's face into a bit of driftwood, a bit of beechwood. Yeah, and I'm waiting for you. I'm wearing a white shirt. I'm wearing khaki pants. I'm wearing Birkenstocks because we made it out, and we're rich now because we buried treasure by a tree somewhere. Right, and now we get to live a nice life together, me and you, in yeah, fucking Hawaii on the beach, our little boat. We're gonna have our whenever Metallica Hawaiian shirts on every day. Because guess what? In Hawaii, every day is Aloha Friday. Every day is Aloha Friday. The only time we take Metallica off the turntable is when we put on the payolas. Exactly. So, all right, listen, <laughs> I'm happy for you, and uh, I'm okay putting the Outlaw Torn thing to bed. In fact, we didn't it's even time. do it. It's not even up to us. Uh, thank you, Lars Ulrich. One Lars Ulrich, drummer of Metallica. Uh, if you like the show, and good God, I can't imagine you don't, although there are people who don't like us, but they that's don't fine. listen, and that's, that's fine. That's okay. That's hey, listen, that's your choice. Listen, we believe in freedom of choice, so go in peace and go fuck yourselves. Also, and 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 might I add real quick? Yes, you please. have a choice. You have a choice to listen to our show or not. You have the choice to if you like it or not. You could turn it off. With the outlaw torn thing, I didn't have a choice. <laughs> okay, I had no choice. I got my ass thrown in metal prison, and and we're done with it now. <laughs> So if you don't like the show, it's fine. Just go listen to something else. And Well, there are some people who hate listen, which is unfortunate, but whatever. All right, listen, but if you do like the show, you can. there's so many ways to help out, all right? First of all, uh, tell your mom, tell your fucking dad, tell your dog. Tell everyone who will listen that you, there's a podcast that you like. Yeah. Get them involved. If you have social media, you can link to us, even saying something like, hey, here's a link to a podcast I like a lot. It's called Metal Up Your Podcast. Boom. To check uh, it if out. you have your own podcast, which, by the way, 
we have spawned many podcasts. Someone sent us an email that was like, oh, I just listened to two podcasts that credit you guys for the inspiration. One was the podcast Croissant, the Faith No More podcast. There's the fucking Smashing Pumpkins podcast. Mark Maron's podcast. There's WTF with Mark Maron. Uh, Angelo Gonzalez does a John Mayer podcast. Michael Grovener does a Billy Joel podcast. I mean, it's just a big family now, man. We, we've we're, we're the parents and all our children. We've spawned so many of their, our children that are podcasting as well. Yeah, it's like a family, so but not like you. it's not like Seventh Heaven though, where we all live together in the suburbs. It's like right. it's like medieval kingship, where you know kings have like a hundred kids they don't even know. That's yeah. us. Yeah, that's us. Yeah, like we're not playing. <laughs> we catch get around. The, we're not playing catch <laughs> with all the kids. We don't even know their names. Um, why did I start saying that? Who knows? I don't know. Oh, I know why. Because if you have a podcast and you have people who listen to you, because you're probably doing some good shit out there. I don't know. Mentioning us is real helpful. So you can do that. Now, if you really like the show and you want to support us financially, you can check us out on Patreon. You'll hear a commercial for that. We talk about it every week. We're just going to leave it at that. But we do want to say thank you to Michael Peterson for getting on the Patreon train. And uh, there you go. Get the clap from Ethan. Maybe some hero music for you. Never and, know. Uh, it's as simple as that. It makes the whole thing go around. makes the world spin around. All right? It keeps us from... Uh, from, from atrophy and from idling, lonely in space. We must spin round for the centrifugal force to keep us you, grounded, yes. You spin me right round, baby, right mm, round. Like a record, baby, right round, right now. Yes. Yes, please. The easiest way to get a hold of us, because we love hearing from you, is show at gmail.com. Oh my goodness, Ethan, we have a ton of emails to catch up on. We're going to pick five right now in what we lovingly refer to as the email corner. Let's go to it. All right, our first email, brace yourselves, this is a long one. Robert (laughs) Mayer writes in and says, is that the Master of Puppets backdrop from the Master of Puppets tour. Sure looks like it. That's amazing, Rob. Uh, yes, Rob, it is. Uh, I mean, br- briefly discussed it in the intro here, but uh, yeah, that was one of the coolest parts of that performance of Battery was seeing the returned backdrop by Wayne Summers to the boys uh, being used again. Man, I mean, I don't. Th- I think they've probably just had it in storage since it was returned and. They how unveiled long, it once again. How long do you think it took Avi to put that thing up? Avi's <laughs> like, can I get some help over here? And Lars is like, sorry, I'm doing an interview with NPR. Sorry, I'm forgetting that Outlaw Torn was on uh, one of my most important live records. Um, but it's a little more to the left, Avi. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. The, the no, backdrop looked sick. It looked really cool, man. There's And there's some great photos that uh, I can't remember the name of the photographer that was there that was shooting a little bit. But um, was it Ansel? Was it Ansel Adams? Ansel Adams, I believe it was. Yeah. Oh, good. Um, is he? Is he still alive? Yeah, it was Annie Leibovitz. She was there <laughs> shooting Metallica. Uh, it was just great to see that backdrop, man. I mean, yeah. it's such a great image. Yeah, and one would assume that that's the first time it's been hung behind him since Cliff's last show. Ooh, wow! I mean, you can see, think about how long it was missing for. You know what you're doing by speculating. Do you do you realize what you're doing? Am I picking up the phone to dial nine one one? you're ensuring that the metal police who don't sleep will now be writing in to let us know about some show where they did play it. I feel like I just 
dial the non-emergency number. Oh man, just a, a light speculation. We just can't even really speculate anymore because it's it's, just, it's an invitation. All right, uh, thank you, Robert, for the brief email. I like a good brief email. Elliot K writes in and says, "What's up, legends? Clint, Ethan, and Paul. My name's Elliot, and I thought I'd write in and let you guys know how much you all caps. By the way, rock, rock. I'm from Sydney, Australia. Hit it, Ethan. G'day, mate." And recently came across Metal Up Your Podcast by searching for more content on Papa Head after listening to his appearance on the Joe Rogan podcast. Safe to say it was the best thing I ever did discovering you guys listening to the podcast for the last few months. Every single day has been something I look forward to and puts a massive smile on my face. We have been getting a lot of new listeners, by the way, recently. Yeah. And a very common thing being said now, because we're old now. We're an yes. old podcast now. Yeah, we're, we're vintage. A very common thing people say now is, crikey, I wish I had discovered you sooner. And I wish you had too. And I don't know how I could have reached you otherwise. We did the best we could. We did the best we could. And I'm glad you're here now. Uh, He says, your discussions about certain topics like Napster, which he says, hands down my favorite episode thus far. He says, album discussions and guest interviews, especially with Wes Fisk and Chad Z. Shout out to our good friend Wes, who never calls me when he comes to town. But I get to hear (laughs) from you that he was in town and that I missed the hang. Uh, and Chad Z, of course, friend of the show, James's guitar tech, have been so entertaining to listen to in your love and respect for Metallica, something I relate to, which is why you have a loyal follower now. Very cool, Elliot. He says, my top awesome. 10 Metallica songs are number 10, Moth, number 9, Day That Never Comes, 8, Fight Fire, 7, My Apocalypse, 6, Sad But True, 5, Sandman, 4, Puppets, 3, 1, 2, Black, and number 1, Battery. Hey, there you go. Well, you were in luck this week. <laughs> Pretty cool for Metallica to have played your favorite song on national television just this week in 2021. That's really cool. It was even crazier that, that after Colbert said, please welcome Metallica, he, Hetfield goes, this one's for Elliot. <laughs> it was weird. Now, I didn't understand that, the context, but now I get it. Yeah, I wasn't uh, sure. I thought it was maybe for Billy Elliot. I'm not sure. Right. Maybe Joe Elliot. Right. Joe Elliot or uh, Billy Eilish Elliot. Uh, Elliot, Elliot, and then uh, Elliot, <laughs> Elliot Smith. Uh, just wanted to let you guys know how much I appreciate you and thank you for having such a positive impact in my life recently. Keep up the great work. I've been telling all my friends about the podcast and I can't wait for more eps. I put the abbreviation on eps just then. He didn't. Uh, stay rad and stay safe from Elliot, Sydney, New Jersey. Oh, that's cool. Thanks, Elliot. That was a great email. Yeah, thanks, Elliot. All right, next email is from, oh, it's from the Fonz. Fonzie. The Fonz. Hey, hey. Uh, Fonzie says, first, I just want to thank you for being around. Okay. This podcast, no problem, anytime. Uh, this podcast has brought me a ton of joy. I, ne- I never knew I needed a Metallica podcast, but I do. So thanks a heap for everything you guys bring to us listeners every week. Yeah, welcome. Ne- he says, now for my what if. Mm. Actually, you guys touched on it in the last episode, but what if Dave pulled a real dick move for his first album, Mustaine, of course, uh, <laughs> released all the Metallica songs he co-wrote as he envisioned them, not just the mechanics, but but all the songs he was given credit. What a nutty first album that would be. I'm sure at least, I'm sure he's at least thought about it. Cheers, Fozzie, Fonzie Brookstone. Well, um, so you're looking at Jump in the Fire, Metal yeah. Militia. Well, here's the thing. Phantom Lord, maybe. It's either Phantom Lord or No Remorse, and then, of course, Four Horsemen. Yeah. Uh, here's my quick hot take on it. Oh, let's hear it. Um, the mechanics is cool, but it's not the Four Horsemen. Oh, man. I think that, I think that whatever he would maybe have taken, like the jump in the fire riff or whatever, that riff might have been cool. But knowing Dave, he probably would have sped it up like thirty-five BPM and written something not as good over it. 
and I'm not knocking him like that. Like I love Megadeth, but I, I James Hetfield is a, a superior writer in my opinion, and I just don't think the songs would have been as good. I'm not going to add to that because you said it and you're actually a fan. So that your words have more power than mine. <laughs> okay. They do. They have more power because you actually do really like them. So that that's a really honest take. I appreciate it. Sure. Uh, I think Megadeth fans agree that, that listen to this show. And I would right. just, the only thing I would like to add to that is I would like to echo something I said earlier. Metallica is the greatest heavy metal band of all time. Yes. So I'm just repeating that. Okay. Yeah, just uh, thank you for the stone. what if Fonzie. It's it's etched in stone in Goshen. I'm told that's where it resides. Yeah, well, as soon as we can fly again, yes, as soon as uh, herd immunity is achieved, uh, we will be taking the pilgrimage to uh, the land of Goshen. Well, I'm told uh, it is etched in stone. Then we will confirm it on Instagram. <laughs> and then we'll Instagram it. All right. Jolene writes in, hello, Clint Ethan. I'm Jolene from Belgium, New Jersey. Jolene, 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 Jolene. <laughs> Dude, when I toured with Mindy Smith, she, her and Dolly had a big version of that. Yeah. And when I toured with her, we opened with that. And Awesome. Dude, I, this has only happened a couple times where I've been lucky to play with someone that I was a huge fan of. And of course, I didn't tell Mindy this for a long time after we were friends but yeah we were opening in the uk we were playing these clubs but they were packed and we were opening with jolene and i'm playing jolene this wicked dark sh she had a really dark version of it it's a dark song yeah. anyway but and we would do this like big intro you know before she came out it was real vibey and ambient and i swear to god every night we did that i thought i was like a fan i thought yeah i was like i get to watch a mindy smith show tonight while i'm playing it from stage right. Yeah. It was a pretty cool experience. Yeah, those, that's great, man. That's awesome. I hold on to these moments. Okay. Uh, and thank you for serenading this with Jolene, by the way. No problem. <laughs> uh, Jolene says, since I only discovered your awesome, all caps, by the way, awesome, podcast about a month ago, I'm only at episode 34, so I don't know if the New Jersey joke is still a thing now. It Honey, is, yes. please. Come on, please. I'm basically playing one episode a day, pretty gutted that it took me so long to discover your podcast. But on the other hand, I'm stoked, too, because I have a ton of episodes ahead of me still. I listen while I cook, while I'm commuting to work, while I painted my pole dancing studio, okay? And it makes everything just twice as fun as it actually is. Nice. Awesome. I just listened to the Injustice for All episode. Man, that was a good one. Super interesting, as well as really funny. You guys crack me up. And I don't know if you're still doing the emails in the beginning, but this was the episode that one guy was bashing you for talking about the email for so long. But I personally love it. I really appreciate the attention you have for your fans and fellow music lovers. Uh, I didn't know that they only played Dyer's Eve 35 times. Uh, and not to make anyone jealous, but I count myself very lucky that I was one of those 35 times. I attended a Metallica show in Belgium in 2009 at Rock Wurcher, great festival, by the way. And we got both Blackened and Dyer's Eve. I remember that I was so psyched to hear this live. And I also remember that I played that song many times right after the concert. I guess I never realized what a great song that actually is until I heard it live. And now I know I'm blessed because not many people have. Well, I think Jolene's going to be really pleasantly surprised to hear your cover of it, Ethan. Your cover of Dyer's Eve is so killer. Oh, man. That, yeah, that was one of the more fun ones uh, for me to make. Just wanted to say, great work, guys. You're doing a fantastic job at the podcast. I hope you'll never stop making it. If you're ever in Belgium, you can add me to the list of people who will buy you a beer. And I don't know if you're aware, but we have the best beer in the world here in Belgium, New Jersey. Keep on rocking. All the best, Jolene. 
Well, I can confirm two things. Rock Verkter is an amazing festival. I've been there a couple times. Well, can you confirm a third thing that I said it wrong? I said rock. What did I say? Rock Wurcher. Wurcher. It's yeah. I, I mean, that's how I would pronounce it as an American. Look, I haven't you know. traveled to Europe as much as you. I'm not cultured like you, dude. Uh, listen, listen. You must go to Rock Verkter. It's a great festival. Lots of all sorts of bands. I've seen. Uh, I saw lots of great uh, rock and roll at that festival. Now, it really is one of the best festivals. It is nice to hear that it, it, it sort of sets itself apart as a festival by having lots of different kinds of bands. Isn't that crazy? As, as, fest, as far as festivals go, I mean, most festivals I go to, one or two kinds of bands. But this festival has lots of different kinds of bands? Lots of different okay. kinds of bands. It's that, crazy. Well, I don't know how they make that work, but okay. I'm, just, I'm mostly speaking from someone working behind the scenes at that festival maybe three or four times. It is one of the most well-put-together festivals in all of Europe, and I love it so much. I exert a small amount of energy every, every day of my life, um, especially since the podcast has started, regretting not going to one of the two Orion shows, festivals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, same. Like, I feel a little part of me uh, sort of just comes up to the, you know, comes up to the surface of where I live up in my face. Mm -hmm. We live kind of behind our faces a little bit, if you ever thought about this, but then you, sometimes yes. you come into your face. It's like when you're driving and then you realize you just pulled into your, your, uh, your garage. Yeah. And you don't know how you got there. It's because like, you were well, where you normally live, kind of behind your face, exactly. deep inside somewhere, primal, in a fetal position probably. But occasionally you come up into your face, you're like, holy shit, what am, how did I buy this house I live in? And uh, I do that occasionally with this Orion Festival, and I wish I'd gone. Anyway, Tangent City. Tangent City. Thank you again, Jolene. <laughs> Thank you, Jolene. Who's next? You? Ah, yes, it's my turn. Uh, Nermarda is writing in again. She says, hi, guys. Really enjoying this new series, Deep Cut Dives. Happy that Trapped Under Ice uh, was first and got so much love. It's been a favorite of mine since the beginning of time. Time. <laughs> I'm not sure what the song is really about, as you guys discussed, but I'm always connected to the song and uh, when I feel suffocated or trapped in a situation. Well, especially when she's literally trapped under ice. Yeah. Namarta dabbles in a cold in, part of the world well, in wintertime. Well, and she dabbles in cryogenic freezing. It's sort of like, you know, some people get a tan, right? Yeah. She occasionally will freeze herself on a block of ice. It's this new, it's kind of like yeah. intermittent fasting that's becoming a thing. Right. Taking a cold shower. This is just sort of a heightened version of that. It really is. Yeah. It's like, it's like a, a, the next step after you've done the polar bear plunge in so, Iceland. <laughs> so I can see how she could relate to the song Trapped Under Ice when she's trapped in ice. So Agreed. Yeah. Uh, she says, uh, I would frequently listen to it in pharmacy school when I was feeling particularly overwhelmed and stressed out. It pretty much mirrored my feelings. Anyways, hope this episode opens up the eyes and ears of those who didn't previously love it. Much love, Namarta. I think it did. I think it did. Well, Namarta, uh, just stay warm up there in your cryogenic chamber. And if, yeah, and we'll have to let you, if, if Wesley Snipes, who's a, a supervillain from the past, is is thawed out, we're going to have to speed up your process and get you out, and you and Sylvester Stallone and Sandra Bullock can take care of him. Demolition That's Man, right. anyone? Oh, Demolition yeah. Man's one of the greatest action movies of all time. It's really good, yeah. They filmed a lot of that in uh, Irvine, California. I didn't know. Er, California? Oh, dude, man. And, like, I stopped by the set one day, and I saw Sly, and he was like, hey, yo. And I was like, Sly, you got to go down the street and get these gnarly fish tacos. What'd he say? He was like, absolutely. <laughs> and I was like, let's go, dude. <laughs> dude, I had my chain wallet. I'm connected to my board shorts. I was wearing my Vans. I had a fucking piercing in my lap. All right. I don't know. And ate fish tacos. <laughs> <laughs> fish tacos are excellent. With a tapatio. All right. Our last email, Monty 
who's a friend of the show who has a bitchin' YouTube channel called Met Concerts 100, where you can find cataloged any all these great bootlegs. He puts a lot of TLC into that. I highly recommend you check out his YouTube channel if you're jonesing to watch some Metallica on YouTube. So Monty writes in and says, Hey, Clint, Ethan, and maybe Paul. No Paul here today, sadly, although you will be seeing Paul later. To, actually, we'll both be seeing Paul later today. Yeah, you're coming by the studio today. Sweet. I'm going to come by the studio and grace you all with my presence before I go camping. Mm. Uh, he says, I was just emailing to give you a little info about Metallica playing Trapped Under Ice in 2000. It actually was requested by a longtime friend and fan of the band, Otto. He says, Otto actually filmed a lot of the extra footage on the Justice box set with Lars's camcorder. There's an old Met Club video showing them talk about it, and you get to see them rehearsing it, too, and he sent us a link. Awesome. So basically, we nailed that in our speculation, which I'm happy to hear. Yes. Because we were like, why do they play it? Why did they play it in Peoria? Why did they play it in Chicago? And it's like, well, they got a buddy who lives there, and every time he comes to a show, he requests it. All right. He says, the only time they played it with Jason, and it's a real missed opportunity because his backing vocals on it sound brutal. That's so true, man. Like those yeah. big gang vocals and trap to be great with old Newstead. He says, they were really mixing up the set list for the short M2K tour in late 99, 2000, breaking out songs like 2x4, Phantom Lord, and of course, Trapped Under Ice. The other recording isn't, he sent us a link to another recording of it. Really love the idea of diving into the deep cuts. I'd like to throw Holier Than Thou into the hat for a deep cut dive. Though it was planned to be a hit single while making the Black Album, it didn't quite turn out that way. It's got a bit of a strange live performance history, similar to Trapped. Anyway, love the podcast. Can't wait to hear more deep cut dives in the future. Monty Pearson, Met Concerts 100 on YouTube from the UK, New Jersey, baby. He really has a great YouTube channel, man. I, well, I guarantee you, for all the Metal Up Your Podcast family out there and just Metallica fans in general, you've watched his videos. Yes, yes. If you're if you're a nerd like me and Ethan, sorry, Ethan, but it's true. You're it's a nerd true. like me. Uh, you have been on YouTube late at night and you've looked up Metallica live. And on the, if you're me, it's always poor retouring me because right, I can never yeah. get enough of those. And then you don't you often see who makes the videos. You just find them. And he he may he puts these together. So thanks, Monty. Yeah, a lot of TLC involved with his videos. For yeah, sure. thanks, Monty. Really appreciate you, dude. And that concludeth the email corner. Let's take a break. Let's hear a bit from Patreon and then let's dive into murder one. Let's do it. Hey everyone, this is Ethan and Clint. We're here to tell you about supporting the show via Patreon. That's right. Every week, Ethan and I work hard to bring you the best Metallica content possible. If you think the show has value, consider supporting us on a financial level at Patreon. For $5 a month, or the price of two cups of coffee, you can ensure that Metal Up Your Podcast continues to grow in quality and content. But that's not all. In addition to being able to help sleep at night for supporting your favorite podcast, we've also come up with incentives to say thank you that are exclusively available to patrons. For example, for a pledge of $5 or more, you immediately get free downloads of every cover our world blackened ep ticket giveaways for shows like snm2 and slang castle box sets rare vinyl metallica memorabilia like snm2 guitar picks email priority meaning we'll read your email first on the show the chance to ask guests like hailstorm jay weinberg of slipknot and metallica row crew your very own questions and the opportunity to come on the show as a guest for our metal tales bonus episodes in which you can tell us all about any Metallica show you've been to in the past. All this and more for becoming a patron and supporting Metal Up Your Podcast. We couldn't do this show without you, and to everyone on the ride with us, we sincerely thank you. Peace. Adios. Okay, well, here we go. I've got my axe here. And you I do. will I will attempt to be playing through some of this, including the solo. Um, so 
let's just dive into the sort of the the lore of Murder One. Yeah. Uh, the 11th track from Metallica's 10th studio album entitled Hardwired to Self-Destruct. Little, There's a little deep cut knowledge for you right there. Yeah, I'm not sure if you knew that. Written by Hetfield Ulrich as everything on Hardwired was except for Man Unkind, which was the intro was written by Robert Trujillo. Right. And I, I feel bad. I feel like when you watch these making of videos, Robert is in all of them. Yes. Uh, I don't know why they decided not to give him more credit. I will say, anytime he's suggesting something, they seem to ignore him. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed that, Ethan, but... A little bit, yeah. They seem... Like, even in the Murder One video, making a video, you know, he, and I've, I feel like I've seen this a lot in the hardware videos, where he's like... And you can tell he's like, going out on a limb to make a suggestion. It's yeah. not easy to suggest songwriting shit to James Hetfield. Yeah. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, they're the Beatles of metal. So it'd be like me being like, hey, John Lennon, how about this chord progression? How about this lyric? And, yeah. and I'm a confident that I write good shit, but you're in a room with one of the best. Yes. So he's with trepidation, which is appropriate, basically saying, what if we do this? And I swear to God, dude, it's like they completely ignore him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And maybe Poor this Rob. is just on grumpier days or whatever, but. Yeah, maybe so. Uh, okay, the song's a tribute to late Motorhead frontman Lemmy Kilmeister. And this is what James said in the interview, and I talked about this a little bit at the top of the show. Mm -hmm. Motorhead had a lot to do with Metallica sitting here right now. Lemmy is an entity, a kind of father figure, helped us a lot. He was unafraid, he was a character, and he was himself. We all respected that so much. He did his own thing to the last breath. No matter who you are, how could you not be inspired by that? Touching. Agreed. Yeah. Lars talks about when he actually followed Motorhead on the road. Like, Lars actually was in a car following their bus yeah uh he says following them around on tour as a fan helped him want to take metallica seriously he says when i came back to southern california i called up james and said listen we've really got to give this a shot motorhead is the catalyst murder right. one was the name of lemmy's favorite amplifier on stage speaking to gary moore of the 95.5 close radio station james said of the amp i loved being murdered every night by that thing baby yeah, man. I added the baby. I, I used to listen to 95.5. That was one of the rock stations in Southern California. Did I say it wrong? Is it KLOS instead of KLOS? KLOS, yeah. Close. Close. It almost looks like Klaus. Klaus. Klausen, Hausen, Schausen. Uh, Hausen, Walsen. Sorry, Torben. <laughs> Stop by for a second. That was a... <laughs> um, man, uh, our friend Jack O'Shea, uh, the producer that they've worked with uh, the last uh, EP and last record, I uh, got him Cameron. Diaz? He actually is the owner of Murder Two, ah. So like his backup, basically, that was would be on the road and stuff. You know, of course, right. if something went down. Um, but so that's been on a couple Bayside tracks, and Jack's like played a played a Rickenbacker bass through that rig, and he's like, dude, it it. I mean, it's unbelievable when the second you hit a chord. Now imagine it's Lemmy playing it. I love Jack. Jack is so cool. He's a good dude. In a So What interview, James had this to say. Regarding this song, he says, not many people know what Murder One is, and I'm just trying to dig deep, go around corners and talk about him without being extremely direct. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I kind of figured it was about Lemmy just because I, I knew his main rig was called Murder One, so that was a bit of a no-brainer, but I guess if you didn't know that little detail, you might not know what it's about. Well, and the video heavily features There's <laughs> the that. story of yeah. Lemmy. But, but yeah, yeah. I mean, if you just heard the song, 
you know, and there's other, there's, there are references to aces and, you know, uh, man in black, all all the aces. He talks about an iron horse, which is a motorhead song. So there are some clues in there, but I, I just even like philosophically the approach. I like that he was, it's, you know, we've talked about this a lot, like a little window into how James thinks about writing. Yeah. And I like the idea of him even just before Penn hit the paper, he was in his mind, he was thinking, I really want to write something for Lemmy, but I don't want it to be like, I love you, Lemmy. You're so awesome. You just died. You know, it's more like Let's how, eat some fish tacos. It, it, you know, the, and we're going to get into the lyric, but the song is definitely written as a, a bit of hero worship. It's It's very mythological. Yeah, right. Which I find very cool, very befitting. You know, I'm not a big Motorhead guy. I I like them. Um, there are some things I don't really like about Lemmy. He's mm-hmm. he's a strange penchant for World War II iconography that yeah. is a little suspect to me. Uh, and I, his glorification of booze and shit. I, I'm not really super into that. But musically and and as a as a figure, and and here's the deal too. I will forever be grateful to him because if he created, he's one of the many things that helped create Metallica. Yes, absolutely. And it's like that with like Woody Guthrie, for example. Like I'm not a big Woody Guthrie guy or a Pete Seeger guy, but those yeah. guys basically invented Bob Dylan. Right. And then oh, Bob yeah. Dylan is like a new element on fucking earth. And yeah. so th- they, I have all the respect. Who's a version of that for you that's like, like who who inspired Joe Strummer? Like, what's his main influence? I could tell you this. Uh, it, it is documented in the Clash documentary called West Way to the World. The f- The first Ramones record okay. was what the Clash heard and said, we can do that too. They had already kind of formed and started jamming and stuff and weren't really sure what they were going to do. And then that first Ramones record came out in, what was that, 76, 77? And they were like, oh, that's, like, we can play that too. That was a big deal for, like, Joe Strummer. He was also into like old like sixties rock and roll too with the with his band the one oh oneers and stuff like that. But but that 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 would be a similar example. A big hallmark of punk music, from what I gather just as a student of music, is it just made it made making music accessible. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, you could someone like Joe Strummer who would go on to be one of the most influential musicians of all time. I mean, there's no Pearl Jam really without the clash. Yeah. Um he looked at the Ramones and was like, oh, I could do what those knuckleheads are doing. It didn't yeah. seem like you go, you know, you go watch Pink Floyd and it's like it makes you want to never pick up a guitar again. because <laughs> Exactly. It's a, I can't even imagine how four guys you were talking about Dark Side of the Moon a couple days ago. And it's like calling it a masterpiece appropriately. Yeah. And it is kind of like, how did four guys make this? In their like 20s. Like it, it's so otherworldly and unthinkably amazing. Not that yeah. the Ramones isn't. It's just the different different slices of pizza. But oh, absolutely is. Yeah, the Ramones are essentially like a a, a, a punk version of Roy Orbison, right? You mm-hmm. know, because Joey Ramone was a big fan of his. You know, that that's the fun thing about discovering music. And I know we've talked about this in the past. Is find your favorite artist and then find out who they're influenced by. And- absolutely. That's yeah. Tangent City. That that's kind of essentially what I was starting to say. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, so he says, Murder One was Lemmy's rig, the name of his favorite amp. I know he had more than one, but that's the one that stood out to me. He says, paying respects to Lemmy, because without him, I don't think Metallica would be around at all. Probably not a lot of other bands. He was an inspiration, an unwavering strength, but not unapproachable. Very down to earth, very real. Had great philosophies on life. A lovable character, even though he looked completely menacing. He was lovable, and he'll be greatly missed. Um, 
he was just such an icon. So these are just sort of interviews through the years where they're they're saying essentially the same stuff. A lot of high yeah, yeah. praise, a lot of high praise for sure. old Lemmy. And then of course, you know, the uh, Motor Headache, which is the five songs that they did for, uh, it's on disc two of Garage Inc. Where there's yeah. basically these rehearsals for Lemmy's birthday party, mm-hmm. where they played a sort of, a, you know, special opening band. Yeah. And it was right here in Nashville that Lemmy came out on stage with yeah. them. And, they played uh, Too Late, Too Late, yeah. Yeah, man. That was, that was one of the of many Metallica shows that I wanted to go to, but I was on the road touring, so I couldn't make it. Uh, I also, I was just off the ride. Okay, um, the lyric references, of course, Born to Lose, Live to Win, which Lemmy was a famous saying of his. He had a tattoo of it. Aces Wild, Aces High, All the Aces, Aces Till You Die, references to both Ace of Spades and All the Aces, which was a song and the name of a 1993 compilation. Uh, the Iron Horse Rolls On and On, a reference to the song Iron Horse. So, there's a little backstory on the tune. The video, uh, the song's animated music video was directed by Robert Valley, who's best known for his animation work on the Gorillaz music videos and the Tron Uprising TV series, none of which I've seen. you never seen any Gorillaz videos? No. Dude, you need to get into the Gorillaz, man. They have that one, their one big hit, I always resented it because it's a U2 ripoff where it goes, Oh, a window, 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 yeah. That's a U2 song called Staring at the Sun. And it's just such a blatant ripoff that I always sort of took it personally, which is insane. It makes no sense. I'm personally offended on behalf of the biggest band ever, U2. Who probably don't care. Who probably are friends with the fucking gorillas. They're for sure. Well, it's Damon Albarn from Blur. Yeah, I knew that. And I was always more of an Oasis guy, too. I bought into all that shit when I was a kid, you know? Yeah, yeah. The Oasis versus Blur shit, you know? To me, they don't even sound alike. Woohoo! Remember that shit? I just love that. I mean, again, quick tangent city. I know we're a bit on, on a bit of a time crunch here, but I just love that there's, there's so much connection between with da- Damon Auburn, where it's like he had the gorillas, right? But also speaking of the clash, he has another band that he did called the good, the bad and the queen with Paul Simonon from the clash on bass, which is a fantastic record, by the way. Um, but yeah, you gotta get into some gorillas, man. Their videos are so cool, man. They're all animated and they all have characters for each band member and stuff. Okay. Well, visually, it's just awesome, and their records are produced really well. And I need I say more. I'm looking at a vibranium stone. Okay, a stone made of vibranium. Okay. Do you know what vibranium is? I don't. From the Marvel films, it's the it's the it's the hardest metal. It's the hardest oh, substance on earth. Yes, 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 yes. They keep it in Wakanda. It's what Captain America's shield's made out of. It's what right. Vision is made out of. He's made out of vibranium. Yeah. I'm looking at a stone of vibranium, and that's time. And I'll try to just carve out some time from the impenetrable vibranium to get into Gorilla's music videos. That's okay. a long-winded way of saying I don't have any time to do anything. Right. <laughs> Maybe I'll make you a tape. If you make me a tape, dude, you made me that living in and rocket from the crypt tape and I bought two of those records. There you go. Uh, by the way, I want to say thank you to listener Anya for sending me a tape also. She sent me a tape. It's got a lot of similar flavor to the tape yeah. you made me. Yeah, she threw a, a, a song, I think it opens with the, uh, with the Bronx. Yeah, right. They're an awesome band. So thank you to Anya, I appreciate you out there. Okay, listen, uh, the video is fine. It's, it's pretty cool, actually. But it, again, it, it, there's, an, it, there's an overemphasis to me, and this is a little bit of prudish, puritanical shit coming out of me, which is weird for me, because as you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a godless atheist. Yes. But I also am a dad. And so I, I filter things through that lens. It's a lot of like, even in the video, he's like snor- doing cocaine. Yeah. 
And it's just all like him holding a bottle of Jack Daniels. It's like when I see Michael Anthony from Van Halen, he plays that Jack Daniels bass. Right. I'm just like, really? This is such a cliche. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I guess, I mean, it, it does fall in the category of like, you I mean, let me just did whatever the hell he wanted to. Yeah. And he didn't care what everybody thought, yeah. which I, re- I respect, you know, but you're, back to your point of like the glorification of certain substances and stuff like that. Um, That's just not what was cool about him to me. I get that the drug use was part of his like fuck it stuff, but like part of the story is he was in this band called Hawkwind, yeah, and they kicked him out not for doing drugs, but for doing the wrong kind of drugs because they were, I guess, like a a, a trippy acidy band. They were, they were cool, yeah. And uh, oh, a telemarketer is calling me. Should I answer fun. that, Ethan? You think I should answer that? They're going to ask you about your extended warranty on your car, probably. I love that. It's always about an extended warranty on a fucking car. Yeah. The myth in the video is like, so he said, so he moved on to start a new band, but not before he had sex with all their girlfriends. And it's just like, <laughs> I know it's funny because because it's, it's so cartoonishly stupid. Right. And kind of gross. Yeah. And I'm like, when I think about all this high praise that he gets from James about being a singular individual, about being unshakable and about having vision and him doing drugs and fucking other people's girlfriends, it doesn't rise to that for me like that person wouldn't be your friend anymore well not until he had sex with my my wife apparently uh but it's to me it's like the music man the music and the power of his live performances and yeah and his attitude his 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 give no fucks attitude about being uncompromising as an artist yeah those are the things that i gravitate more towards and uh i'm not trying to be super moral police about that but oh no no no, no. I, I totally i totally understand it i mean there's i mean think about it too like when you're younger there's a there's a part of that kind of lifestyle of a rock star that you're like fuck yeah man like do the drugs drink this hook up the girls like that's just part of it bro you know but i think the older you get you're kind of like eh, i mean that's not super cool not anymore you know uh, and i don't want to focus on that because that's not the whole thing so um, of course that's the video the videos we're seeing all the hardwired videos are killer oh they're awesome yeah uh now the last thing we'll talk about before we start diving into some riffs is this making of video where some interesting things this is one of the shorter ones it's about nine minutes long yeah the working title was frankenstein and as i'm sure you can all deduce it was called that because it is an amalgamation of a lot of different riffs now this is where things get interesting is at the very beginning of the video lars is talk talking about the different riffs because because james is like what song is this and there's like, well, it was Frankenstein, but Lars goes, it's the darkness is a verse riff and the budgie is a bridge riff. <laughs> so we got those two names, but then Greg says the song is parts of, and I can't tell what he's really saying, but it sounds like he says Rio Q and Vildenus. Vildenus. And, and then after chorus two, Lars says to do two riffs, the cyanide riff and the Satan riff. Okay. So... You know, they have their own language, as we know. They, I mean, I've done that, too, where it's like, I mean, I, I'll i have demos that I, I'm trying to work out or whatever where I don't have lyrics yet, and I go to save it onto my external hard drive, and I title it w- what it kind of sounds like yeah, to me. Oh, absolutely. that's the Green Day idea, you know? I mean, if you start getting into, like, some Steven Pinker level, like, he, he's a famous linguist, writes a lot of really cool books about like the mind and he has a really great book called the blank slate that I recommend for people, but he's all about like language and as human beings and that step of our evolution and what separates us from animals and all this shit. You start getting into that stuff. It's like language is really just a way you communicate with people and it doesn't even matter what the words are. 
as right. long as you agree on the shared meaning of the word. So if calling shit weird shit, you know, he says the tail a lot, you know. Yeah. What do they call it? The the Ramones in it? Yeah, yeah, I'm Ramones in it, like all downstrokes. Which just means down, <laughs> downstrokes. Yeah. Whatever gets you to the finish line is what works, right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, and it's always fun just seeing them. So they, they, they mix those up where they, they try to tell the story of the song. And sometimes that even covers eight months worth of time. You know, yeah. Lars will have a beard and then he won't have a beard. And yeah, it, they try to cover <clears throat> the vocal. They try to cover they've even got old Kirky Poo in there, which I'll say this is not one of the great solos of Hardwired. No, I, it's, there's it, moments of it that remind me of like the to live is to die solo where it's like real slow tempo and he's kind of shredding over it. Yeah. I, I don't know if. if don't get me wrong, I can't play the whole thing, but I just think that like it could have been better, I guess. It it has a few moments that just don't feel real locked in and yeah. especially here's my thing with solos. You can do this he does a lot of really fast tremolo picking, which is really cool. Mhm. There's a, some chaos in there that I think is actually cool. Yes. But here's the deal about those kinds of solos in my opinion you got to land them. Like you've got to come out of them in a way that like is pocketed and has like an arc. Yes. And his tend to be this fast crap that's fine, but then they, they don't, they just sort of peter out and that does not yeah. work. That does not work for me. And we're going to yeah. talk about that when we get there. Um, there is a cool thing happening in the, the, uh, the making of that. I didn't notice where James is just, uh, I'll have to put these sounds in later because I have my clean tone up now, but he's just doing these heavy pick scrapes in the chorus. The chorus is really heavy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, all right, let's let's investigate the lyric real quick. One crown shines on through the sound. One crown born to lose. One man doesn't give a damn. One man, no excuse. Pretty good. Again, it's like you're, you, you are mythologizing. Mythologizing? Mythologizing. Mythologizing. <laughs> mythologizing is the, the, the new Nuprin, uh Headache medicine. All right. <laughs> you're you're mythologizing this guy. It's, it has a very um, lorish, uh, you know, narrative. Ace is wild. Ace is high. All the aces, aces till you die. White lines fading. The iron horse rolls on. I hear your thunder still feeding back. I still hear your thunder. The man in black, born to lose, living to win. It's cool. It's like it's these like really short bursts, right? One yeah. fist hammers through the mist. One fist steady on. One heart die hard from the start. One heart beats its song. It reminds me of Carpe Diem Baby, which actually has the line, the words live to win, live to win, mm -hmm. dare to fail, uh, is one of the lyrics. It's just those quick little bursts that are evocative. There's a lot of imagery it's right. to the point. There's, there's a very, um, there's something very efficient about the lyric of this song that I really like. Yeah, no, I, I really dig the lyrics in this song. I mean, it's a... It's, you know, it's like he's writing out a documentary or just writing out talking points. If you were to write a script or something, it's like, you know, hear your thunder still feeding back, you know, still hear your thunder, the man in black born to lose, li living to win. Um, yeah. They're almost like sporadic thoughts about Lemmy. Yeah. It's kind of it. just painting an interesting little collage, which is, yeah. which is kind of why the video works. The video is, I don't know if that guy, that's his calling card as a, as a, video maker animator or whatever mm -hmm. the gorillas videos but it's very collagey yeah it's like him silhouetted with his fucking bass and then it's like you know him in a club and right. it, it doesn't really tell like a um it, it doesn't really do like a normal narrative it kind of is jumping around it's cool mm -hmm. yeah for sure i know i dig it so yeah i mean this is definitely one of james's more 
there's a lot of like sort of abstract poetry in this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, juxtaposed with something like uh, Moth in the Flame or Spit Out the Bone, where he's like, basically, there's a premise. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, man is his own self destructor, and then all every lyric just really supports that. This is really more just cool, kind of limmy, iconic imagery. Yeah, it's a it's a bit of just like a. A, a quick overview of someone's entire life, you know, rather than just, just picking like, Oh, I'm going to write a song about Lemmy on this day that this thing happened. It's like, no, no I'm, I'm, right. I gotta, I gotta encapsulate this into, into a four or five minute song. You know, Lemmy woke up, drank his breakfast, smoked a cigarette, played fucked bass, his, fucked his friend's girlfriend. Uh, there's verse went one. to bed. <laughs> Well, should we get into some of the guitar stuff? Yeah, I'd love to. So I have my clean tone up now and I didn't, you know, I didn't spend too much time trying to dial in Metallica's like amazing clean tone. This is actually sounds more like their live stuff. But what we do have, which they tend to do a lot, is this B minor figure. Yeah. It's really cool. I love how simple that is too. It's just because th- your left hand doesn't change uh, what you're necessarily playing. You're just you're just moving it up and down right. the, the fretboard. And you know? have that droning G note that's in everything. Yeah. And the way that rubs against some, you know, an F sharp, and then you have it. Uh, uh, you hit it twice when you're hitting the G, but then when you go to this F and C. Yeah, I, I love the way that rings out. And then you got the E B and a G. It just creates mm-hmm. this really pretty thing. And they like that. They, they, you know, I mean, we'll all recognize uh, this intro. Oh, that Savage Garden song, right? So fade to black. Right. They also like to do this shape, although this is any e minor for Sanitarium. You know, they do that thing. Yeah, too. there's still there's still that droning G in there, though. One, you know, one's this, one is similar with uh, minus the constant G, but yeah, but they do that, put that G in though. Yeah, it's in there. Yeah, same same position though. Yeah, they, they, James loves that spot, and even the the really pretty classical part of one. Uh, those little cool vibey chords you know yeah absolutely now this intro is 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 just as cool as that th- those songs in my opinion so one thing they do at the top and i'm curious um if anything comes to mind for you but i don't think they do this a lot where it's like super dynamic from clean to that the then it goes clean again right back into the doom, doom, exactly it's 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 pretty back and forth like sporadically man it's it's not something that is a i guess necessarily a common thing they do it's usually full on clean part for the right. verse into a big chorus or or vice versa or once they make that switch you know like in in fade to black or unforgiven it stays there right uh i guess kirk does that on the on the outro of unforgiven kirk toggles between uh the clean picking stuff and then like that kind of yeah. harmonic um 
not harmonic, but octave thing that he does. Yeah, I'll sure. tell you what, if I was Chad under the stage or whatever, irresponsible for those tight cuts, I would be right. that would be a hectic song for me. Yeah, that would be that would be stressful for Although sure. He's a pro. The switches. He's so, a pro. I mean, he's, he's only been there for almost 20 years. So I like these little tight. And then you get the riff, the same picking riff, but obviously heavy now. They do that trill, which I, I like. I love that. I love that they add that in. What's really fascinating about this at the top is, first of all, they never do it again. But they do it again, but they do it in a different key. Yeah. Which, again, is just strange to me. So right now we're kind of in B with that little trill guy. Yeah. And then they do kind of a classic transition where they go... Yeah, a bit of a key change right there. But that's, you know, again, that's a very common thing they've done in the past on a, on a lot of tunes where they start in B, end up in E. Well, they go to E, but then as soon as, you, as soon as you're in E, he launches into the main riff, which is in F sharp. Yep. So he does the thing to get us to E. And then when the group comes in, it goes... I love it. Now, a couple of cool things about that is this. I don't know if you're going to be able to hear it without being able to hear the tone, Ethan, but when he hits <laughs> this first low F sharp, he does this little bendy. Yeah. Yeah. It has a I, lot I, of attitude. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. Like Dimebag it, did that a lot. In fact, Dimebag has a uh, dude. I don't know what, what Dime was doing, but he was doing these like little videos for Guitar World magazine where yeah. he was doing like little lessons for their like website. Yeah. But, you know, late 90s shit. AOL. This online. is exactly, it was exactly like that. Some kind of AOL guitar world thing. Yeah. And it's just him drunk in his basement, which was kind of his like playroom. <laughs> and he has this little amp, little shitty amp that's like going in and out. He's like hitting it and shit. He's drunk. But uh, he calls it like the redneck bin. Because it's not really a half step. It's like yeah, or or it's almost like you're about to do like a vibrato with your left hand. Yeah, kind of like how Zach Wilde do it, or or Dime did on like on pinch harmonics. Yeah, exactly. But, but James incorporated that into the riff itself, which is really cool. And even when he hits this, I mean, he grabs it. It's like yeah, he does that in the chorus too, which we'll get to. So the other cool thing that's happening right there is when he does the. I don't even know what this is called, but instead of doing just a B to a C to an A, here's just mm -hmm. a normal B. He puts the low E string on it. Yeah. Yeah, the low fifth. That's a Yeah, uh, exactly. They're not the metal band at all, but uh, Weezer is known for doing that a lot, which is thicken up, thicken up those power chords when you're on the A string, but the low fifth. It end. makes it super sludgy and heavy, for sure. I did that on my song Shadows. Uh, almost everything has that low fifth. Yeah, it's a cool move. It definitely... It definitely makes things heavier. I can see how, I mean, they don't really do that often. They do it in Spit Out the Bone, I know. Yeah. They definitely never really did that in their classic work. No, not Put really, that no. fifth on, that lower fifth on. But it works great here. I mean, especially if you're writing a song that has all this gravitas of trying to get at the heart of what was special about Lemmy, making it super heavy is just the way to go. Oh, yeah. Um, and then, of course, they play that cool groove hook 
And then they let that just be that because when they get to the verse, it's a different, it's just a simpler kind of chuggy guy, but it's got mm-hmm. these cool and stop starts. So it's. goes to an A, uh, to an A. Then a chromatic chord. Then we're back in that guy. Again, going back to our, our both of our points about how much cooler songs get when you break down the riffs and know how to play them, man. You, even just watching you play that, you know, the F sharp to the A to the B to that, to that chromatic part, instantly it's like that is so much cooler than it sounds the thing that the thing that i'm trying to remember as i write lunar satan and as i think about this metallica shit is they're just writing shit that's fun to play yeah and that doesn't i can tell you this for the first lunar satan album i didn't write anything that that i was like oh that'll just be fun everything i wrote for that was like this is what it needs to be this is what i'm trying to hear some of it's not fun to play because it's hard yeah but this murder one thing is like, oh, these are just fun. Like when they were putting these riffs together, they were just, like, let's just pick the ones that are going to be fun to play, even though they don't play it live. But I mean, some of their some of their most fun riffs to play on guitar are some of the most simple ones. I mean, right. like you know, the main riff to Rome or Sandman. Like even I was going to say Sandman. Yeah, yeah, Sandman. So it, that's still fun to play. Um, some interesting things happen, sort of transitioning into the chorus. So it goes back to the groove. <laughs> And then when it goes, there's a two count when it hits that A. So it goes, yeah. one, two. That's the white lines fading part. It's these cool diamonds. Yeah. Then we're in the chorus. So even as weird as that might be to add those couple extra little measures there, it sets up the chorus nicely. It's it's almost like, hey, I don't care where this is. We need some kind of transition to get to that next part. And I think that it was well achieved. It's so cool. I mean, it, it definitely makes it complicated. It, it overcomplicates yeah. that moment, but not in a bad way. So he, he they do that split bar and it goes. And then the chorus is so heavy. And again, he's. He's grabbing that G. Yeah, he does. So it's cool. Just even cooler that when, when it's broken down and played. Well, and even to think about singing over that in a way that's cool, like... I just would never have thought to do that. And I, I would have thought, how do I sing over that? But that's the born to lose. He says born to lose yeah. over that. So then we get another verse. Kind of everything else is the same. Right. Business as usual, which that's that's pretty common. You got a nice little, you got a nice little A section. Mm-hmm. Let's do that again. Yeah. Move the lyric forward. Uh, but coming out of the second chorus is when things start to get interesting again, which they love to do. Yes. So the thing that happens is they go back into the. So that's fine. But when they break out of that, 
Remember how the intro started in a B minor shape? Right. So when they come out of the chorus two with the, the F sharp groove. They start doing that intro thing, but they do it in F sharp. So they move everything up to two strings. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. How weird is that? It's super weird, but it's nice that they bring back that intro, even though it's in a different key, obviously, but just a great callback to the intro of the song. So now the, the droning note is a D instead of a G. Right, It's yeah. just such a weird thing to do. It it totally works. It does. But it's like, I wonder if that was like a happy accident. Like that would never occur to me to do, which is a, one of the million reasons that I'm not Metallica, but right. <laughs> would it occur to you to do a riff like that? I, I, don't, I don't think I've ever written anything like that where the key changes and then I bring back the original riff, but in the key that I've settled in. I don't know if I've ever done that before. I've, and then they never go back to, they never do B minor again. Like once they yeah. moved on from that. I just love that instead of a completely different riff, it, so it has the familiarity because it has the phrasing, you know, that it has that feeling of the intro, but it's not. It's pretty different. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I think that, you know, having that constant, though, of the, the droning note, whether it's the G or the D is what gives it that haunting feeling, but it, does, it has a, a much different feel, though, in a different key. So then, as usual, the, the stuff to listen to a lot of times in Metallica songs... Uh, is what James is doing under the solo. Yeah. So in this case, the first half of the solo is the chorus. So he's so Kirk is soloing over the chorus, which the the way they get into that's pretty cool too. So the third time they're doing this new lower intro, re-intro. Yeah. They do that split bar GF to get right into Right. He plays a whole chorus, and then the way he ends that chorus is he goes. And then they do another chorus. Yeah, yeah. I love that part where it gets, you know, Lars goes to halftime. And that's where it almost kind of has that vibe over the solo of To Live Is To Die, uh, that, that solo. It totally does. And speaking of the solo, so let's listen to, uh, I'm going to attempt to play the solo here. It's not perfect, um, but these are the kind of solos that it's just, you can't even play it perfectly. And I guarantee you, Kirk would never play it the same. Right. Because what they ended up putting on tape was just, an improvisational thing that doesn't even really land. So yeah. it starts with a lot of really fast tremolo picking and all that's really cool. As I said before, it's this kind of cool chaos. And then he does this yeah. cool thing in the middle where he comes out of the chaos and does these really melodic passages. Yeah. And it starts to give the solo some like anchor points of like, oh yeah, yeah. like kind of when it slows down and gets melodic. Yeah. But then of course he does more of that. Let's just listen. I'm going to have, um, I'm going to have the actual song panned a little left and my solo panned a little right. You ready? Okay. Yeah, I'm ready. Yeah. 
So there's the solo. Uh, you know, it's again, you got to land those. You got to stick them. You got to yeah. stick them for the power. You got the the power has to follow through, and unfortunately, it just really doesn't in this case. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think over the last four years, there's a lot of lead stuff on Hardwire that I have grown to really love. Um, upon first listen, I remember thinking like, man, I think Kirk really either needed more time or, or whatever, or maybe shouldn't have lost all of his ideas on his phone. But this is still one of those solos where I'm kind of like, I mean, you can hear his talent. He's a great player, but like, it's just kind of the coming in and coming out of the whole thing and making sense of it and, and taking you on a bit of a journey with a solo. It just kind of goes straight to 10 and then there's a couple of melodic things and then it's just done. You're like, wait, okay, that was it. Well, and I, and I don't know. I mean, you know, there's just so many, it's just tough to even speculate about because first of all, I would like to once again say Metallica is the greatest metal band of all time. Yes. And Kirk is one of the greatest living guitar players of all time. Yes. Just, just I'll, I'll, I'll die for that. Oh, yeah. So it's hard to speculate about why it's not his best work. And I, I even feel shitty even putting it under that kind of microscope. But I don't know if they just sort of thought the chaos of it worked. Like I've mm-hmm. had solos end up on records because the artist or producer, like there might be something in it that bothered me. Like I maybe not didn't land it because right. I have solos that I don't land either. But the artist thought it was good. So it's like, oh, it's like, so I don't know if like Lars and Greg heard that the way it ended and was like, that's it. Yeah. I mean, maybe so. I mean, you got to imagine too, like when you're in the moment of recording a part on a record, it might be completely different than how you feel four years later. Yeah. You know, I've done that before where I'm like sure. in the studio, I'm like, dude, that was awesome. That was great. You know, a couple years later, I, I hear, you know, that record back or that part back. And I'm like, wow, why did I do that? Yeah, totally. You know? Or that was the 30th take and that's just the best they could get that day. That also yeah. happens too. You for know? sure, for sure. That, that also happens. Um, so getting out of the song, a couple of really cool things happen that are worth highlighting. So we burned down another chorus, but the live to win part, that part. Yeah. They do this cool thing where they sort of tag that. So it goes... So they kind of tag that, they throw this little B thing. And again, going the extra mile, not just doing a symmetrical, like, oh, that riff's fine, just repeat it a couple times. Yeah, yeah. They go the extra mile, they go back into the main hook, and then they revisit the intro again, but again in the F sharp key instead of the B minor. Yeah. And then we're out. And that's love the it. end. I, I love the sound of that that early riff in F sharp. I think it sounds. I do too. I, I mean, but, they're both great, but it sounds a little obviously tougher because it's you but, know thicker strings right there, a lower key. But but it's yeah, almost man. like but it's almost like a producer in me might have been like, all right, guys, just pick one where you like the key, and if we're going to play that section, yeah, we need to do it in a uniform key. Yes, like. I might have been tempted as a producer to be like, hey, both times you do that part uh, in the middle and the end of the song, it's in F sharp. Let's just do it in F sharp in the intro. Mm-hmm. Right? Pretty cool that they were like, no, we make our own rules, bitch. Hey, man, have you heard? Listen. Have you heard the good news that we make our own rules? And you know what? We'll never stop. We'll never quit because we're Metallica. I'm telling you, Ethan, again, I'm not just saying it because our new Deep Cut Dive series is sweeping the nation and, in fact, the world. Uh, yeah. 
learning the song made me like it more. Absolutely. I, I have this, and that's my least listened to song on Hardwired. And now it is a song I will fondly jam. Yeah. And think about all these kind of cool ways that they composed it. Agreed, it just man. gives it a new life for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we, we can't over, overstate that enough, you know, and, and we'll continue to talk about this with each deep cut we do especially the ones we've never learned before. You know, like you learned murder one last night for the first time. Yeah. I've never learned it. So it's, you know, same thing with trapped under ice. I knew the main riff, but once I learned the other parts, I'm like, man, this is so cool. This is so much more fun to play and more enjoyable to even listen to. Are we giving tens of thousands of people, uh, guitar lessons now? Is that sort of what's happening? I think essentially this is a guitar lesson episode. Yeah. That's cool. Well, here's what I don't want it to be because we'll say this in closing just real quick. And again, I just always have the metal police in my mind. There are a million people out there who can play all this stuff way better than Ethan and I. Sure. So this isn't a YouTube tutorial. Those guys are crazy talented. Yeah. And I don't have the time to do that, frankly. This is essentially just isolating the track in a yeah. way. It's yeah, like, yeah, hey, check just... out. This is what's happening if you can't quite tell because everything's mixed together. Yeah, yeah. We're just highlighting the sections that we think are cool and doing our best to present them uh, isolated so that you can really get a sense of what's cool about them. So, right, exactly. Uh, and I think everyone gets that. I just want to... I just want it to be clear that we're not we're, the 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 goal of these isn't to be like look at, look at us play guitar. I don't no, give a fuck no. about that. You can listen to me play guitar on my albums Vampire oh, and Lunar Satan. I, I I butchered Hangar Eighteen last week. Don't, no one's here for the for the glitz and glamour of my playing. Um, well, it was good to see you and spend time with you. I, I this is our earliest episode for sure. Eight a.m. It's been a while, yeah, and I'm I'm. It'll be short, but I'm uh, looking forward to seeing you probably within, what, the next hour or so? Yeah, I'll be there around lunchtime. And Sweet. in fact, I may text you and make sure you guys are still there. Uh, we, uh, we, we haven't been going anywhere for lunch. We just order it in and eat outside. Yeah, so yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll be there all day. Well, I'll see everybody then. And uh, to the Metal Podcast family out there, we love you guys. Uh, enduringly grateful for the community. And uh, if you dig the show, do all the shit that you know you got to do to help support us, to help keep us afloat. And uh, take care of yourself. Take care of your families. We'll see you on the flippity floppity. Peace. Adios. If you were our advisor, what would you say? Then I would say, delete that. <laughs> <laughs>